what's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It is Friday, January, what, 19th, 2023. Scratch that. It is the 20th today. I'm the Pody. As always, welcome to This Week in Sports, episode 197. We've got a lot to get to, including um, a weekend of, well, super wild card weekend in the NFL playoffs was an absolute, um, it was phenomenal. Every one of these games was down to the wire, one possession type games. Even when you thought teams were going to lose, they came back. It was just phenomenal. But in terms of betting this weekend, I was quite pleasantly, uh, well, not pleasantly, I was surprised at, at the trends and what happened, and I did not have a good weekend. I expected the Giants to win. Of course, I didn't bet them. I didn't bet the spread. Um, I took the Bills. That was a disaster. Um, but a lot has transpired, and a lot did transpire. We're down to the final eight teams now in the divisional round. I'll break that down. I want to um, start the show off, though, and give you a recap of everything that you may have missed because I watched, I believe, every single play of every game over last weekend, and I will do the same this weekend. So without further ado, I don't want to delay this any further. Let's jump right in. So we are going to start with the 49ers and Seahawks. Now, listen, the Seahawks were a great story. Geno Smith leading this team from what was viewed as being one of the worst coming into the season. Like, what are they doing? They're going to start Geno Smith this season. Like, Pete Carroll's on his way out, and they make the playoffs as a wild card team. It was just phenomenal. But they went up against division rival San Francisco and their third string quarterback, the Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the 2022 NFL draft, Brock Purdy. And let me just say, Brock Purdy is undefeated in his young career after taking over, you know, after the Jimmy Garoppolo injury. And he didn't look great early on in this game. He was you know, I think he started maybe like one of six passing, something not great. But by the second half, oh my God, was this kid locked in. He ends up becoming the first rookie to throw three touchdowns and run for another one in his playoff debut. And the Niners scored 25 unanswered points in the second half to run away from the Seahawks. And it just proves to me that they are the real deal. Um... I was a little hesitant to say that this team could win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy, but I'm actually thinking that that might not be the case anymore. I, I am so impressed by this team, and I think the big test will be if they could get past the Cowboys now. Um, if they get past the Cowboys, the sky's the limit. This team is playing so, so, so well. It's going to come down to their secondary, whether their secondary can stop that passing attack. Uh, of the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, but very, very impressive win by the 49ers. Uh, next up, we had pretty much the game of the weekend 
What a shocker. Um, Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars, listen, they were a very good story, a cute story. First-year coach Doug Peterson, you know, former Super Bowl uh, coach with the Eagles there. He comes in after that disaster that took place last year with Urban Meyer, right? He comes in, and after a rocky start, okay, the Jaguars won five in a row to claim the AFC South title. And let's face it, I don't think too many people expected them to beat the Chargers. They were at home, two and a half, three-point underdogs to a pretty good Chargers team. But what happened Saturday was incredible. Trevor Lawrence, in the blink of an eye, I was playing video games with my friends, right? Because I didn't really care about this game, to be truthful, but I was watching it. And I'm playing with my friends, and I'm like, oh my god, he just threw an interception on like the first drive. Then, oh my god, he just threw another interception, and another, and then another. Four to the tune of four INTs in the first half. Oh my god. Yeah. Thank you, Jay Billis. And the Jaguars found themselves down 27 to nothing. All I was sitting here thinking was, wow, good thing for the Jags that it is still super early. It was like not even midway through the second quarter at this point. They're down 27 to nothing. But the key in this game, and this was so huge, right before the half, Trevor Lawrence threw a touchdown pass, a great pass down the left sideline. And it got the Chargers within 20, which at that point was is definitely doable. It's not good, but it's not it's not 27 nothing bad. So you're on the board. You've got the touchdown. Uh, but what happened in the second half, I don't think anybody saw coming. Nobody. Trevor Lawrence turned it around tenfold. The Jags go on to mount a 27 point rally to win the game. 31-30, the third largest comeback in NFL postseason history. So here's how that played out. The Jaguars were, they got the ball back. They were down, uh, they were down a couple, and they had a crucial fourth and one with 127 left, but only two timeouts. So they were in plus territory, but they weren't in field goal range. If they don't get this fourth and one, the game is over. They went for it as Doug Peterson likes to do, and this is how it played out. This this is a play that dates back like 50 years, this formation and everything. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. They had a quarterback and then three players in the backfield, and you didn't know where the ball was going. Um, this is like an old fullback-type formation, and they end up handing it to um, Travis Etienne. He runs it up the right sideline, and they're – Game is over at that point. Three backs behind him. To the outside. ETN. First down and a ton more. And stays in bounds to the 15-yard line. What a call. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They put the yeah, what a call indeed. It took him down to the 15-yard line, as you heard there. And the um, Chargers had one timeout at that point. So... All the Jaguars had to do was run it out and then kick the game-winning field goal, which they did, and it sounded like such. Likely on Kansas City. Here we go for the win. Got it, but there's a flag down. There's a flag down as everybody's running out onto the field, but there's a penalty marker. Offside. Defense number 27. 
and they call it on the defense. Yeah, that was um, offsides on the defense. I always say in a situation like that, I'll jump offsides as, you know, as many times as it takes to get the block, right? Like the first one, you jump offsides, you like by a mile, you block it, right? Okay, then it's offsides, they they get the five yards, they re-kick. Then I'm going to jump offsides again, try to time it, but I'm gotta, I have to block it, obviously. Like this one, they jumped offsides, they didn't block it. You would have to ensure that you block it um, and just keep doing it till eventually, like, the, the officials are like, We're, we can't call this. They blocked it. Clean. You know? It, it, w what else do you have to lose? I mean, Jesus. So, yeah, Jaguars mount a 27-point comeback. They move on to face the Bills while the uber-talented but always underwhelming Chargers are eliminated once again. Uh, the Chargers have since gone on to fire offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi as well as passing game coordinator Shan, uh, sh excuse me, Shane Day. Listen, I don't know if how much of this is on uh, Joe Lombardi or not, but Austin Eckler, one of the best offensive weapons in the league, only touched the ball 15 times in this game. That is unacceptable. He should have had 30 touches in this game when you were up 27. I mean, ridiculous, right? Um, But that's why I say I don't know how much of that is on Joe Lombardi. If it were me personally, I would have taken this one step further and fired uh, head coach Brandon Staley. He's supposed to be the defensive guy coming over. He was the defensive coordinator with the Rams. And, I mean, he did blow a 27-point lead. Okay? I mean, seriously. So, wow. Okay, that was Saturday's games. On Sunday, we got three more fantastic ones yet again. The Dolphins, who went into Orchard Park as 13 and a half point underdogs, the biggest spread of the weekend, actually probably should have won this game, albeit with third string quarterback Skylar Thompson. It's incredible. If they had Tua, they probably do win this game and by a lot, actually. Um, I, I, I bet the Bills minus 13 and a half. Um, I think it was at 14. I actually brought it down to 13 and a half. I was so confident in this game. Like this is one of those ones that I would lo I would have lo locked in as like one of those surefire bets. I would have been willing to put like hundreds of dollars on this game. That's how sure I was. But nothing is ever a sure thing in sports betting uh, and gambling for sure. Because like what, what I was hung up on was the fact that I watched this kid, Skylar Tom. I watched, first of all, I watched a Dolphins sputter. They lost six straight before barely beating the Jets on a game-winning field goal to win that game 9-6 and get that last wild-card spot, right? And then I watched Skylar Thompson play against the Jets twice. The first time, the Jets blew them out, like 30-something to like 10 or 17, whatever it was. And he came in for an injured Teddy Bridgewater in that game. And then... In, in the last week, week 18, nine points. That's all they were able to muster. And yeah, I guess clearly the Jets are 10 times better uh, defensively than the Bills because this was shocking. Um, I, I, I mean, I get that it was a divisional game in the playoffs and you're fighting for your life and everything, but 
Jalen Waddle dropped a wide open touchdown early on. He really dropped like two passes early on. Uh, they had all the chances in the they had all the opportunity in the world to win this game. The Bills just turned it over a bunch. And I figured like with the whole DeMar Hamlin situation, he he's back in Buffalo. He's been visiting the facility every day. I figured he would be at this game and it would just give them this this extra boost, you know? And the fact that they got snubbed from that one seed because of that Bengals game, because that didn't game didn't get finished. Like, I just thought they'd be playing way better. Um, and I was wrong, and they barely won this game. It came down to the fact that the Dolphins had the ball down three with 229 left, facing a fourth and one at their own 48. But somehow the Dolphins couldn't get the call in and were hit with a massive delay of game penalty which shouldn't have happened considering a Bills player got hurt on the previous play. I have the call on this. Um, here's the penalty. The announcer, I think Tony Romo is the one that says it. Oh, they're going to have extra time because the player's hurt or whatever. But then they, he's saying, oh, they yelled at the player to get off the field. They stay with the play call. And they short of the first. Now you got fourth down. And they'd have no timeouts. Fourth and a foot as Ahmed has stopped just short of the 49. There you go, McDaniel. You better give your best play call. Uh, he's going to have time because someone's down and hurt. <laughs> Look at that. Ed Oliver was down on the ground, a little banged up. Coach said, get up, get over here. He's like, all right. <laughs> of course, Doug Peterson last night was one of the great short yardage calls on fourth down. Ugh. It looked like they were going to try to push Trevor Lawrence on a sneak, and they handed it off. And it led to a big gain and a setup to winning field goal. Well, here it is. These are your season. Fourth down. Season's over. If they don't get this first down right here, you're not going to have enough time. It's going to be fourth and six. Are they going to make it in time? Snap it now. Go. It's late. It's late. Yeah, it was extremely late. I don't understand how that could happen. Um... That moved it back to fourth and six, and at that point, you're just like, oh, my, it's over now. Skylar Thompson um, tried to scramble right and then throw it on the run to Gasicki, like a yard past the, the first down marker. Gasicki dove. It was like he didn't catch it. It looked like it was a, a ball that he could have caught, but it was defensed well, and, and that was your ball game. The Bills win 34-31. to 31. I was so mad because, like I said, I bet them – the Bills minus 13 and a half. They went into the fourth quarter as badly as they were playing all game. Josh Allen threw a touchdown pass at the end of the third quarter with like two minutes left. And they went up 10 at that point. And I'm like, okay, nice. We're going to go to the fourth. Just need one score. And then before the third even ended, I think that's when the, the, the Dolphins got it all the way back to the 50. And then I think they scored quickly into the fourth quarter. It, it just was, it was disturbingly bad. Uh, uh, play by the Bills. I was very shocked. If they played anybody else, they would have lost this game absolutely without question. But they didn't, and they move on to face the Bengals. More on that later. Okay, in the second game, this was a highly anticipated one. I was looking forward to this one a lot. We saw the Vikings taking on the 13-4 the and four Vikings, the fraudulent Vikings, 11-0 in one-score games this season, right? Best mark ever. We saw them taking on the Giants um, in a game which I said I actually expected the Giants to win. I even told my brother as much like a week prior that I really thought the Giants would beat the Vikings. 
Um, I because I just didn't think the Vikings were a good team all year. I watched the Vikings play a lot this year. I especially watched them play the Jets when the Jets had like four red zone drives in which they resulted in no touchdowns and the Jets lost by five in a game that um, Mike White got knocked out of and and came back. Like, it was just one of those games that if the Jets were anybody else, they, they'd blow, they would have blown them out of the water. And so I never thought the Vikings were a good team this year. They had an, a worse point differential than the Jets, the Browns, a couple teams. It's just, they're frauds. Um, so yeah, the record, 13-4, and four, you figure, yeah, in one-score games, okay, that's going to be come down to the wire in the playoffs, so they have a leg up on teams because they could somehow just figure out how to win. But they beat the Giants on a, you know, Fugazi, um long 60 or 61-yard field goal a few weeks prior. So I, I knew the Giants matched up well with them, um, but the storyline of this game was the, the running attack. Like, Daniel Jones was running the ball really well, um, I mean, he was doing it all. I believe he became like the first quarterback. I'm probably not going to find the stat because it was so long ago. But he 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 ran, I think, for a hundred yards. He threw for um, a, you know, let let me see if I could pull this up because I remember reading it when it happened. Um, so let's see, Daniel Jones stats. Yeah, he threw for 301 yards and two touchdowns, and he ran for 78 yards. I mean, talk about a day. Um, Saquon only ran the ball nine times, but he averaged 5.9 yards. He had two touchdowns. Isaiah Hodgins, the former sixth-round pick of the Buffalo Bills, nobody knew this guy's name before the season. He went eight for 105 and a touchdown. I mean, Slayton went four for 88, though Slayton dropped. Oh, my God, did Slayton ever drop a wide-open first down that really could have sealed this game? Um, that was a rough one. We all know, you know, he's had issues with the drops, but he's become the clear, uh, those two guys have become the clear one, two, um, Bellinger again with another touchdown, like they, they, they've looked good, man. And, and so that's why, um, I, I knew that this wasn't going to be a game that the Vikings were just going to win. And I really liked the giants, uh, because, you know, Kirk cousins playoffs, first year head coach day balls, clearly, uh, better than Kevin O'Connell. So, uh, yeah, it was a really good game. And shame on the Vikings. Justin Jefferson, three or four yards receiving on one catch in the second half. And the Vikings, they kept trying these, like, bubble screens and these little wide receiver screens. I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. It wasn't working. It just was not working. So, uh, like, abandon it, please. Like, what are we doing, you know? And I think the Chargers were doing that, too. Like, they kept, they couldn't get Dawson Eckler the ball. They kept trying screens and it was going backwards. It was just bad all around. A um, couple of these teams this weekend got exposed. Oh, and mind you, Kirk Cousins, what did you have CTE? Were you concussed? Like, what happened? They had a fourth and eight down 30, 31-24. And by the way, first loss in a one-score game as they lost 31-24. 11 and one to finish up the year. And all the only one that matters is the last one, but they had a fourth and eight with a minute 51 left, uh, on their own 48, their own 48, right? It's actually right where the dolphins were when they failed to convert and lost the game. Um, and this was the play. Fourth and eight game on the line. Cousins, Hawkinson, he is not going to get there. And the giants will take over. 
you can't hear it in the announcement, but Kirk Cousins threw a three-yard pass to TJ Hawkinson on fourth and eight with your with the season on the line after, you know, going from pretty much April through summer OTAs, an entire season. You go 13 and four. You're the two seed in the West. You win the uh, NFC North and you throw a three yard pass on fourth and eight with the season. That is something the Jets would have done. I'd have puked if the Jets lost a playoff game, throwing a three yard pass on fourth and eight with the game and season on the line. I just, I have never, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. And I'm, I'm flabbergasted and just. Un- unreal that, that that could transpire from professional athletes. Just ridiculous. Okay, in the nightcap, we had the three-seeded Bengals hosting their division rival and sixth-seeded Baltimore. The Ravens were once again without Lamar Jackson, who has become a you know contentious topic of discussion. Are they going to sign him to a long-term deal? Are they going to sign and trade him? He wasn't even in the building for this game. It's everything is looking weird, but as we get later in the week now today and yesterday, they're all, we're so committed to Lamar because earlier in the week, the odds are that uh, the Jets are the top dogs to to get Lamar. They have the best odds to get him. Lamar kind of changed his profile picture on social media. So, but but they're saying, oh, they're so confident they're going to re-sign him. So much so that because uh, they fired Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator. So much so that they're they're uh, you know Lamar Jackson is going to have a say in who the next offensive coordinator is for this team. So I don't I don't know if I fully buy that, but uh, we'll see what happens there. But back to this game. Uh, I thought Anthony Brown was going to play for for the Ravens as he did in Week 18, but it was actually Tyler Huntley, um, who's been the backup, you know, since Lamar went out, who's taken over. Um, he played pretty well. I have to give him credit. Probably the best game he's ever played of his life. This was just another team's uh, another case of a team starting a backup quarterback and you know, what could have been. If they would have had Lamar, they win this game easily. But with Huntley, it was a lot closer. And it was just the one mistake that he made that flipped this game because the Bengals looked bad. They were the same old Bengals, you know, with their offensive line woes and Burrow getting sacked a bunch. Um, Burrow actually was sacked. How many times was Burrow sacked in this game officially? He was sacked four times. Um, He didn't throw any picks though, but... He was sacked four times at through for only 209 yards and just one touchdown. But the play that flipped this game, um, this almost felt like a James Harrison Super Bowl play, only it was the greatest play in the history of the um Oh, I'm surprised I don't Oh yeah, I sh- yeah, I have it right here. Um just take a listen to what happened. This flipped. This this was the game was tied at 17 fourth um for start of the fourth quarter 12 11:54 to go in the fourth quarter 17-17 Ravens third and goal at the 1.
so a rookie mistake, a backup quarterback type of mistake. He was a full yard away still getting pushed back and Huntley tried to jump and reach the ball over. And when you reach the ball over, you better believe you better be over that line. You better cross the plane. You better be very close. Um, like we've seen Matthew Stafford quickly hurry up there and do it for the win back in Detroit days. But that's one of those plays that you like, like a lot of times running backs can do that when they jump over, but Huntley did that. The ball got knocked out. He wasn't close to, to crossing the plane. He thought he had the touchdown, not even close upon replay. And it bounced perfectly right to uh, Hubbard. And my God, he took it 98 yards. Uh, I said they were at the one they were, I think at the two. But anyway, um, it was the longest touchdown in Bengals playoff history. And, and kudos to, to Mark Andrews. He tried his damnedest to chase him down. It was just a matter. And he did kind of chase him down. But there was a couple other blockers toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. And he just, you know, couldn't get, the, get through all those guys. But he did his damnedest to chase him down. I love seeing guys that do that, that, uh, you know, just – Give it their all. I remember when DK Metcalf did that a few years ago, chased down a guy and tackled him before the touchdown, and it saved the game because they had to settle for a field goal. But, uh, yeah, that flipped the script. Uh, it was the longest touchdown in Bengals playoff history and the longest distance any ball carrier traveled on a touchdown run this year. Yet, that gave the Ravens, uh, the Bengals, a seven-point lead. Yet the Ravens still had a chance to tie the game. They drove all the way down to the 17 to the Bengals 17-yard line with 117 on the clock. However, John Harbaugh had two timeouts and he got a lot of flack of course cuz they, you know, end up losing, but he got a lot of flack afterwards because he didn't use them. So here's what he did. Two timeouts, 117 remaining. He let more than 30 seconds run off the clock before calling a play but here's what I actually what I why I don't mind that because you have to clock manage to an extent you know if you don't score here anyway you're you're the game is over but if you score too quickly you're giving Joe Burrow plenty of time to go down get them in field goal range and win the game they have a very good kicker um so I'm not necessarily upset that they he didn't use the timeouts like he's a Super Bowl winning coach I think he knows what he's doing but what happened was, the issue for the Ravens was, they suffered a penalty, a 10-yard holding penalty, and before you knew it, it you know, it was 2nd and 20, then it was 3rd and 20, and before you knew it, it was 4th and 20 now, and there's only 8 seconds left. And so Huntley had to throw up basically a Hail Mary, um, but the time wasn't the issue here. It was 4th and 20 regardless, so, so whether they had more time or not, you can argue, oh, well, if they had more time and he used the timeouts and they were in this situation on 2nd and 20, then they could have thrown over the middle and they could have tried some other stuff to, you know, to get this 2nd and 20 a little bit closer, but they did. They tried that. They had the two timeouts anyway at that point, so I don't fault them for there, but Huntley throws up a, a Hail Mary, essentially, and I mean, this was crazy because he snaps the ball. He's already falling backwards. There's a lot of pressure, and as he's going back, he heaves it up, and it's really not that bad of a throw right into the end zone, and my God, was it close. Tyler Huntley do it. Four-man rush, retreating, puts it up for grabs, and it is deflected in crochet
goes up. Crochet was inches. Yeah, I mean, it was that close. He got his fingertips on it. He was standing stationary and didn't expect the ball to get to him, but then when it deflected and went that way, he didn't have any momentum, so he was just trying to kind of dive over um, from a stationary position, and he just, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't going to happen. So, uh, yeah, just oh, awful, awful. But the Bengals move on to the next round, and they will face the Bills. Now to the Monday night football game, which was supposed to be the best game of the weekend and the first round. That's why they put it on Monday night. You had Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, the winningest quarterback of all time, going up against the Cowboys, a team in which he is 7-0 and against. Uh, this was a game in Tampa because they were the division winners. Cowboys were the wild card team. And I, I wasn't sure how to feel about this game because I'm like, all right, you know, it looks like Brady got things going against Carolina a couple weeks ago, the three touchdowns to Mike Evans. They might actually win this game. They have the home field advantage. But from start to finish, the Cowboys dominated this game. This game flipped after it was 7-0, and Tom Brady threw his first red zone interception in his Tampa Bay Bucks career in three years. Um it was an awful throw. It should have been a throw away. I don't know. Maybe he was trying to, didn't see the guy, threw it right to him, intercepted in the end zone. They were on like the three. That would have given them, a, you know, if they score the touchdown there, they tie the game. But to get zero points there was absolutely huge. That's pretty much the reason the over did not hit in this game because uh, they had zero points for a long, long time. But. Um, you know, everyone wants to say Brady looked awful and he's thrown one way as receivers are going another way. He's yelling at players and everything. Um, and my dad was very surprised by that. He's texting me that they look awful. <coughs> Excuse me. And I was trying to explain to him, this has been the Bucks MO all year. They have not been good this year. They finished eight and nine for a reason. I mean, all year it was Mike Evans is running a route one way, Brady's throwing it the other. It's falling into the ground or getting picked off or over his head. And and Tom is yelling at him and yelling at other receivers and all that good stuff. So I, that that I, I'm not really surprised they fell back into that. And the O line was abysmal. Um, that's. Tom Brady is 46 years old. He needs protection, and they could not protect him this year. Too many injuries. Um, so shout out to, you know, the the um, the Cowboys' first playoff road playoff win in more than 30 years. Well deserved. Uh, the Bucks since this game, uh, they have now fired Byron Leftwich. Brady's now a free agent. You know, mums the word on whether he'll retire, go somewhere else. Since the divorce now, he's he could be more dedicated to football. I don't know that he will retire anytime soon. I know he's sitting on three hundred million plus to, you know, to 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 broadcast with Fox there, but he doesn't need that money. So so we'll see. I think he's more committed to football now and you know, maybe he'll go elsewhere in free agency. I'd love for him to come to the Jets just because I watched him crap on us for so long that it would be nice for him to play for us. Um, but our O-line is so bad that I don't really know if that's an option. I mean, yeah, we'll get Becton back and Elijah Vera Tucker. You can't rely on Becton, though. Um, but we should sure up the O-line. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. 
But uh, typical Todd Bowles, you know, they fire Byron Leftwich. He's a scapegoat, just like in L.A. with the Chargers. I would have liked to see Todd Bowles get fired. I know they're not going to do that because it's only his first year. But I watched him with the Jets. It's so infuriating as a fan. You're getting bombarded. Like, you're getting destroyed. You don't have any points up on the scoreboard. And, you know, Tom Brady is not looking good. Your receivers aren't looking good. You go three and out. And, um... Todd Bowles is just, you know, they keep showing him on the sideline. It's like, oh, Mr. Cool, Calm, and Collected. No, it's Mr. I've got the same expression no matter what is going on. I don't want that. I like to see the Tom Brady on the sideline screaming and yelling at people, holding them accountable, whatever. Todd Bowles needs to do that. You're getting blasted. Blasted they were. They were getting their teeth kicked in. I mean, it was... Uh, like it, well, it should have been uh 21, nothing, but it was 18, nothing. Cause Maher missed every single extra point except one four to be exact, which is a friggin' record. Um, he had the yips in this game out of nowhere, but anyway, they're down 18, nothing. And Todd Bowles has just got that same blank stare on his face, you know, like confusion and, and whatnot. It's kind of the Adam Gase effect. Like Adam Gase would do that. And then they would pan to him on the sideline and he'd be sitting down, writing notes down and, all this stuff, like Todd Bowles, go yell at somebody on the offense as they're coming off the field. Like, show some accountability, show some emotion. It's what the fans need and want. That's why in like baseball and a lot of times in NBA games, it's great to see a coach get get tossed um, because sometimes they they realize your team is starting to fall down and they need that pick me up. They need to sh- they need to show their team that their coach, you know, cares. And prove that, you know, that was a bad call or whatever. And getting tossed is a good thing once in a while. It helps rally a team. So, yeah, I'm not obviously a fan of Todd Bowles. I've said it time and time again. Um, Brett Maher, by the way, still has his job, although they did bring in another kicker, some guy, Viscaino, I believe, who kicked like one week this year for the Jaguars or something. Um I don't know if they're going to keep if they or if they're going to have both kickers active. Apparently they did that last year in a playoff game. They had two kickers active, but Maher has made the most like 60-yard field goals of all time, I believe. Um he's not a bad kicker. It's just part of that was on um was on McCarthy. After the third or second or second miss when you're up so much already, it's like just go for two. Don't put this kid in this situation. He's having a bad night and he missed four of them. Four of them. Man, uh, Cowboys 49ers, I'm really looking forward to it. I really, really am. I'll get into that later. Okay, uh, that was it for football. Let's talk. Uh, we're going to move on to college. Some some crazy news, some tragic news. Um, it, this story is just, I, I'm still shocked by this. So, University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa police charged Alabama basketball player Darius Miles with capital murder after a fatal shooting near Alabama's campus. So a woman by the name of Jamia Harris, 23 years old, she died um, after a minor Sunday morning altercation, probably 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, booze, I'm sure. You know, nothing good happens in the wee hours of, of, of you know, the weekend hours uh, of the morning. So there was an altercation near a popular late night stretch in Tuscaloosa. So near the campus, there's probably a sh- there's like a strip, there's restaurants, there's some stores and stuff. So this woman was there visiting her boyfriend. She was with her boyfriend and um she was getting they were getting some food when she or she was when when she was approached by an individual 
who, you know, started flirting with her. So she denied the advances, probably said, hey, look, I have a boyfriend, like, back off, whatever. I'm just trying to get food. Leave me alone. Probably didn't like that. Um, so then she left, goes to leave with a the boyfriend. They were attempting to leave anyway. They get in the car. That's when Miles, the, the Alabama basketball player, and another individual, this guy, this 20-year-old Michael Lynn Davis, approached their car and just started shooting. Harris was then fatally shot and killed before the boyfriend got out of the car and returned fire, hitting one of the suspects. I don't know how um, badly that person was struck, but it doesn't sound it sounds like, you know, uh, they probably just got grazed or shot, you know, um, and they're they're fine. But um, from the reports I could see, this guy, Michael Lynn Davis, was the actual shooter, but it was Miles's um, gun that was given to him. And that's what he, what he said and what witnesses, um, confirmed, but really, and then I love it because, you know, I hate to say, I'm not going to say it, but, um, the boyfriend just has a gun on him and jumps out of the car and returns fire. I know this is the South, but let's be real. We all know what this is about. Could it have been gang related? Who, who knows? Um, it just seems like one of those things like, oh, I'm a tough gangster. Like I'm 20 years old. I hit on you, you and, and you don't and, and and you dismiss it and you try to, you know, make me look like a fool. Oh, you're not going to get away with that. So, you know, these t- stupid little punks that society has essentially created in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Nobody knows how to duke it out anymore like a real man or take rejection like a real man and move on so they got to kill a woman that is 23 years old and is a mother and had a child now the mother alluded on social media that she knew what this was about um but she wouldn't say and the police like were not revealing a lot of information from what i could gather so i don't know maybe more will come out on this later maybe you know May, who knows? Maybe she was she was having an affair with one of these guys and the you know cheating on the boyfriend, but she was with the boyfriend, so she didn't want him to know. And who knows what the hell happened? But I'm sure we'll find out eventually. Uh, he was kicked off the team, obviously, and he's been arrested since. Okay, just a gut punching and gut wrenching story. This is on the level of the Demar Hamlin situation, but it's so tragic. Georgia wins the national championship a couple weeks ago on Monday night, right? So they get back to Georgia. They finally are celebrating last weekend. They have a parade and everything. It goes into, you know, probably drinking and staying up late on Saturday into the wee hours again of the morning on Sunday. This also happened on Sunday. And that's when tragedy struck. Georgia offensive lineman Devin Willock Recruiting staffer Chandler LaCroix, as well as um, offensive lineman Warren McClendon and a fourth female passenger were in a vehicle. Chandler LaCroix was a 24-year-old female um, recruiting staffer for the Georgia football team. She was the driver. Devin Willock was sitting directly behind her in the passenger seat. They were going around um, a roundabout at a clearly extremely high level of speed. You have to wonder if drugs, alcohol, whatever was involved. Again, nothing good come, you know, happens that late at night. It was a 40 mile an hour zone. 
um, and they're turning, going around this turn, and the right passenger side front wheel hits the curb. They go flying. I, I mean, this is, um, let's see. They were traveling southbound on Barnett Shoals Road prior to Stroud Road when the vehicle hits that curb, leaves the roadway, striking a Georgia power pole and another utility pole. It cuts them in half, it says. I mean, I, um, the vehicle continued south. I don't think it literally cut the vehicle in two, um, but that doesn't sound good, right? The vehicle then, like, this is how fast they must have been going because this doesn't stop the vehicle. It's still going. It continued south on the shoulder, hits a tree with its rear passenger quarter panel, which caused it to rotate clockwise before it struck another tree with its driver's side. I think those were the those last two were the fatal blows that killed the driver and the backseat passenger directly behind her. That caused this was a Ford Expedition that caused the Expedition to rotate counterclockwise before it rested against an apartment building like unit at Shoal Creek Apartments. And I think it either landed or hit another parked vehicle that was there. Um, Warren McClendon and a female passenger look like they're okay and they're going to make a full recovery. They were in stable condition. But um, the driver, Chandler LaCroix, and the Georgia offensive lineman, Devin Willock, both died. Willock was actually ejected from the vehicle. And we're talking an offensive lineman, six, you know, six, four, probably two sixty five, like a, a big dude. So for him to get ejected from the vehicle, I mean, he was dead on, he was probably deader than dead as soon as he got ejected. I mean, it's just so disgustingly sad, um, that something like this could happen. It, uh, um, you know, um, I mean, to just win a national championship, you're celebrating five days later or whatever it is, six days, seven days later, and uh, for this to happen. Um, and I, I reported on this briefly last week because it had just uh, – no, I couldn't have – I couldn't have um, – no, I didn't talk about this last week. I must have been texting somebody. I thought he – so as a – okay, so I didn't um, erroneously report on anything. So what it was was Willock is a New Jersey native, which – you know, I live in New Jersey, so that um, hurts even a little bit more uh, from Paramus area. He was a third-year guard. He started two games during this this 2022 season. I believe as a f uh, sophomore, he started all 15 games, but just so, so, so sad. Uh, my hearts go out to everybody involved, including the families of those that perished in this tragic accident. And, you know, of course— People want to blame the driver and everything else, but you got to put all that aside. 24 years old. I, I mean, think back to when you're 24 years old. Everybody makes mistakes. You know, this just happened to be uh, a fatal mistake, and, and you, you can't blame anybody. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, yes, whether drinking was involved or drugs or whatever, it, you can't blame any one person. It, everybody got in that car of their own volition, and um, it's just one of those things, man, that 
it, it, it's scary. It could have been dark. They weren't paying attention. Like, you know, they're blasting music, maybe going a little too fast. Uh, it just, it's, it, it happens. It happens all the time. That's why they have drivers at in high school and you see all the tragic accidents and the kids that die and kill themselves and others because they're drinking and, you know, going super, super fast. Um, but just so sad, so sad, so sad. Uh, Michigan, there's never a dull moment that the University of Michigan, especially with their football team, is Jim Harbaugh in? Is he out? Is he going to the NFL? Is he not? Well, he's apparently he's back. And then not only is he back, they now have to deal with firing of their offensive coordinator or co-offensive coordinator, Matt Weiss, who had a long-storied career with the, I believe, Baltimore Ravens, yeah, for like 12 years he was with the Ravens. He joined Michigan in 2021. He's the co-defensive coordinator, but this is shocking. This came out earlier this week. They fired him today, I believe. Um, he was placed on leave after university police, he was originally placed on leave, um, after university police began investigating alleged computer access crimes at the Schembechler Hall. That's where the football offices are located. This was back in September. The, the the computer access crimes took place in December, so it's just coming out this week. It has to be bad. I mean, computer access crimes sounds nefarious at best. Hack. I mean, he's he's a football coach. He's not a hacker, so I don't think it would be anything like that. Um, but your mind immediately goes to the worst. I pray to God this isn't some sort of you know, child pornography scenario or anything remotely close to that. I mean, this is supposed to be a respected coach, um, was in the NFL for over a decade with a very storied franchise, no prior issues that I know of. So, you know, just more drama in Ann Arbor. Stay tuned for more on that story as I find out. Okay, let's talk a little baseball. So we now know why the Carlos Correa deal fell apart with two different teams. Correa told Ken Rosenthal that both the Giants and Mets used the same specialist to evaluate his ankle. Here's a direct quote from Correa. He had already given an opinion to another team about my ankle. He was not going to change that. So then I'm sure Minnesota sees that and is like, okay, well, we're going to use our own independent specialist, not that guy, and he's going to make sure that your ankle is just fine. So Correa even spoke to the media when he signed with, eventually signed with the Twins, and he's like, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned that doctors, different doctors can have different you know, opinions, and he just thought it was crazy because he never missed time after the ankle surgery. It never hurt. He was never in pain. So, uh, yeah, it makes sense now. Both teams used the same independent doctor. Of course, he's not going to change his mind from one team to the next uh, on the players. So, interesting there. Um, okay, uh, more Yankee news. I briefly touched on this last week, but Frankie Montas will miss at least the first month of the season as he deals with more shoulder inflammation. It's the same shoulder he missed time for last season, both before he was traded to the Yankees and while, you know, that was like the excuse. When he came to the Yankees, he was giving up six runs every game, and then eventually they put him on the IL, and it's like, oh, well, you know, he's having, you know, some shoulder inflammation, which I believe was a total excuse. 
but I'm so over this guy. I'm over it. We got, Cashman should have been fired on this merit alone. Gives up Jordan Montgomery um, for Harrison Bader, who didn't play for the first like month and a half, and then he's just all of a sudden plays for a week, and then he's in the playoffs, which granted he was our best player in the playoffs, hitting home runs in like four straight games and all that. And I actually joked with my dad that I truly believe that he was so effective offensively is because the Yankees hitting staff and analytics department hadn't yet gotten their grips, you know, their vice grips on this guy yet, because I believe their hitting philosophy is is brutal um, and they're all just looking for the home run and, and in you know, with the Cardinals, maybe not the case. So uh, that's what I thought there. But Harrison Bader was a good player, but at the expense of losing Montgomery, who dominated with the Cardinals. And yeah, he was iffy in this, you know, lone playoff start there. But, uh, you know, I loved me some Jordan Montgomery, a nice lefty. But Cashman gets this guy, says he's going to be our number two. And now you're going into next season, this coming season. And, oh, we're be glad, we'll be glad if he's our number five. Why are we not going out and signing Trevor Bauer? I don't think the Yankee fans will have a problem with his storied past. You know, the longest suspension in, in, in history of MLB, the abuse of women. You know, that's all well and good. It's it's in the past. Uh, you know, I feel for the women, whatever. Um, but... I'm sorry, this team needs a championship and we need it now. This would be unacceptable under George Steinbrenner. You don't even have to spend a million dollars to go sign this guy. You could you could sign him at the veteran minimum of like $770,000 or something ridiculous. Just sign him. We need the pitching. We need the pitching. Um, I, I mean, it's bad enough Hicks might be starting in left field. Uh, I mean, uh, there's talks that we might go get Jerks and Profar, which would be good. Um, sure, but until I see it, you know, this is just, we're going into this season with, I don't have high expectations at all, at all. Um, I'm laughing my ass off right now because I just got a text message from my friend who said his girlfriend just went on a hike by herself on her day off and got his car stuck in the mud. He had to Uber there, and he couldn't get it out. Um, so now what? Oh, okay. He had to call AAA. Women shaking my head. That's what I texted back. Um, that's funny. So, yeah, Cashman, make Yankee fans happy. Go sign Trevor Bauer. Let's see what he's got. Let's see it. Because eventually somebody's going to sign him and it's not going to be the Yankees and he's going to help a team in the playoffs. I guarantee it. Wow, this is like a story from a movie. Triple A comes, they get the car out of the mud, but then he says some black dog comes out of nowhere from the woods. That is when I would have, you know, crapped my pants. Um, <laughs> He said it was super friendly, but... It was all black, and he thought it was a bear in the dark. That is hysterical. I'm no dog person or lover, so I probably would have shit my pants. That's what I said. It came in my car, and I called the cops. Bro, I ain't letting no stray dog in my car. What is wrong with you? Yeah, these are the friends I have. Anyway, back to the regularly scheduled program. Uh, yeah, 
Brian Cashman sucks. Signed Trevor Bauer. Frankie Montas, gotta go. Okay, switching it up, let's talk some NBA. I've got a great one for you. It is the NBA trade version of what went down with the Broncos and the Seahawks and Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson was so bad this year. Maybe not on that same level, but pretty damn close to it. So Monday, the Utah Jazz beat the Wolves, the Timberwolves, by one. Walker Kessler, I don't know if you haven't heard this guy's name yet, he's been a marvel. His salary this year is $2.6 million. He's a rookie. And the Wolves traded him for Rudy Gobert, okay, before the season because they wanted to pit, you know, Gobert with Towns, two seven-footers. It hasn't really worked out yet. but So they make that trade. Walker Kessler against the Timberwolves put up a 20-point 21 rebound stat line. Oh my God. Meanwhile, and I told you he's making $2.6 million as a rookie. Meanwhile, Rudy Gobert has a salary of $38 million this season, and he left the game early with an injury, finishing with just two points. Minnesota also, mind you, gave up not just uh, Walker Kessler, they gave up picks and players in the deal. And they owe Gobert $130 million through 2026, all to have a worse, a worse defense than they did last year. I don't get how that's possible because Gobert has been Defensive Player of the Year multiple times, and he's seven feet tall. So I don't know how that's possible, but they have a worse defense than last year. And they have the same winning percentage as the Utah Jazz, who were supposed to be in a rebuild and are having a very nice season. Lowry Markinen putting up, you know, career bests. I mean, Walker Kessler, you know, is going to get votes for Rookie of the Year for sure. Um, And speaking of the Utah Jazz, my Nets, they're on a brutal three-game losing streak since Durant went down. Um, They played last night. They lost to Phoenix. Thankfully, that game was on at 10, so I didn't watch any of it um, because I was too depressed after Rutgers gets their first ranking of the season coming in at number 23 and loses to... At Michigan State, they've never won at Michigan State, but not only did they lose, they shot so poorly that I'm convinced that if you had a blindfold on me, I would have shot better than them. Um, reigning co-offensive, pl- you know, co-player of the week, uh, Cam Spencer, who's been one of the best players in the country, one of the best transfers, um, the best player on Rutgers, really, was like one of eleven or one of twelve. Rutgers was like one for 16 from three. It was just bad, bad all around. But the Nets are on a back-to-back tonight in Utah. Not not an easy game. They're on a three-game losing streak. They've dropped now to the fourth seed in the East. Um, It's not looking good. They were in the same position a year ago when Durant went down, and they kind of faltered into that play-in mix. Uh, Can't have that again. We've got to get back on track, and we've got to win this game. Uh, let's see, back to this situation with my friend and his dog. It was a black, a black border collie. How, how does anyone not like dogs? Uh, because we're normal human beings. Sorry. Uh, animals. Listen, it's not that I don't like dogs. If I see a little cute dog on TV or a, or a movie about a dog, which I actually just watched where this kid in college, uh, I think it's based on a true story, he falls in love with this dog, adopts it, and then the dog goes missing in the uh, Appalachian Mountains there or whatever. 
and he can't find the dog and he's just heartbroken over it and it has a good ending, whatever. I, sure, I like sad, you know, stories, cool stories like that, but I don't like dogs around me. I don't like the hair. I don't like, I don't trust animals because they're not humans. They can't talk to me. I don't know what they're thinking. And in the blink of an eye, these animals that have sharp teeth, okay, sharper than humans, they have claws, you know, some of them, and you don't know what will set them off and what will trigger them. And at any, and plus I've been traumatized as a kid, I was at a baseball game and I was running after a foul ball. It was my brother's game. A foul ball's hit over the backstop. I'm running after the foul ball. I'm a little kid. And this guy's dog gets off the leash and starts chasing me. But I was so, you know, nimble and aerobatic and fast that I, I, I was like, I feel this dog chasing me. Right. And I'm like, screw this foul ball. I've got to make a beeline and turn around. So I did like a complete, and I stop on a dime and I spin around and um, I st I run and friggin' this dog doesn't even go for the foul ball. It's it, when I turn around, it's still chasing me. So I'm just running and I see the guy that owns the dog. He realizes what's happening. He sees me running at him and he just grabs me and throws me up in the air away from the dog. And then, you know, obviously apologize and everything that traumatized me, ties me. Um, my uncle had a huge German shepherd and it almost bit my finger off when I was young. My middle finger that scared the crap out of me. So listen, I've been traumatized. All right. Um, by dogs and, and interactions so uh, no thanks and pit bulls my my uncle also had pit bulls and they always thought it was funny to bring the pit bull out when we would come in the house and it scares the hell out of me because uh pit bulls i absolutely hate they are banned in the uk because of how vicious they are i hear stories about how they kill families they kill little kids i think it's totally negligent of any family that has a newborn or a small child to even own a pit bull i don't see the need to own a pit bull i don't care what anyone says oh they get a bad rap they're cute they're nice dogs no they're not they're vicious mean animals and at any moment in time they flip a switch and they will kill you so yeah, that's why I don't like dogs. Sorry, sorry to any any listeners out there that are pe that are animal lovers and love animals and love dogs, but not me. Okay, if you have a cute, nice, small little dog, that's fine. Not one of these little tiny ass dogs, Yorkies that bark, 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 bark. Those are annoying as 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 crap, and I want to kick them. But a nice, cute little mid sized dog. Um, that isn't going to bark and isn't going to go crazy when I, when I'm near it is fine, but don't slobber on me. Don't get your damn dog hair all over me. That's what I hate. That's the other thing I hate. I go to someone's house with a dog and I'm covered in dog hair. But again, I digress. So I'll read the rest of this later off the air and figure out what he's saying. But, uh, yeah, just shocking. So that would be the equivalent there of the Russell Wilson trade because Minnesota is not getting the production they expected from Gobert, and Utah is in playoff contention when nobody expected it. Some college hoops. We had a big upset Tuesday night as number 13 Kansas State knocked off number two Kansas in overtime, and they stormed the court. Now, I get it. It's this big rivalry. Um, they were at home, but you're number 13. Kansas is number two. Uh, you can't just storm the court every single time you beat Kansas because they're your rival. 
you're a top 15 team. Um, so to me, that was a little much. Um, but they have a first-year head coach, I believe, in Jerome Tang, who's got a crazy story. He's, like, Chinese. He's, like, Indian. He's got a crazy background. He's all full of heritages. And he was a former high school coach, and then he was brought on to Baylor's coaching staff, and now he takes over at Kansas State. He's got them rolling. They get the big win in overtime. And he basically said after the game, he said, you know, that's one time you get to storm the court, essentially. But from now on, you should expect to win. Basically telling them, like, this is the new this is the new Kansas State. Like, we're going to win. We're not going to be storming courts because we're going to be the team that's expected to win. So big time win there. Bill Self called two brutal timeouts. Um, and then they just couldn't get anything going off those timeouts. All right, um, the Pac-12 released its 2023 schedule Wednesday, and man, is it going to be brutal for, uh, yeah, Coach Prime. They play, they play, they have to play TCU week one, then Oregon week four, followed by USC in week five, UCLA in week nine, and Utah in week 13. Those are all possibly uh, ranked opponents, and four of those games are on the road. This coming off a 1-11 season in which Colorado's only win was in overtime against Cal. Now, listen, obviously, I'm, not, I'm, no, I'm no dummy. I know this is going to be a very, you know, drastically different Buffaloes team, and fans should lean on that, the fact that, you know, he's brought in his son, Dion's brought in his son, and, and a lot of other good players, and he's going to attract a lot of other players. Uh, but don't expect you know, to be Tulane going from two wins to 12 in a matter of one year. This is going to take two, at least two years. Um, and hey, just look at what happened yesterday. He flipped five-star cornerback Cormani McLean from Miami, making him the highest ranked recruit Colorado has brought in since ESPN began ranking players in 2006. All right. Um, in other news this week, Sean McVay is returning to the Rams, but eight other coaches are not. GM Les Sneed has made it very clear now that McVay is back, that this is not by any means going to be a rebuild. He keeps using the word remodel because McVay didn't want any part of a rebuild, so now they're calling it a remodel. But granted, they'll be bringing Stafford back, Cooper Cup. I mean, these were two integral parts of them winning a Super Bowl two years ago, and both of those guys got hurt. So they'll be back. Um, Aaron Donald will be back. They also played this year without Odell, who got hurt, tore his ACL in the Super Bowl, and then just never got signed by anybody in, in midway through the season, like December, and then, of course, had the whole fiasco on the plane where he was causing a scene, which pros possibly led to him not getting signed by the Cowboys, and then they signed T.Y. Hilton instead. Um, so, yeah, Sean McVay is back. The Steelers and offensive coordinator Matt Canada are reuniting on a one-year deal. There was a lot of, you know, rumblings that Canada would be on his way out. Um, but this was a team that was ba is basically in a rebuild themselves, and they went, uh, like, what, 9-8 and eight or whatever, which is a remarkable considering they started the year with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. Then they moved on to first-year rookie uh, first-rounder Kenny Pickett. They then finished the season winning seven of their last nine games, just missing the playoffs. Oh, yeah, and T.J. Watt got hurt early on in the year and missed a handful of games as well. So not too shabby. You could do a lot worse than Matt Canada. Let's just put it that way. 
You could do, uh, I don't know, Mike LaFleur. A huge article came out on a side note um, about Mike LaFleur and the Jets this season. Um, the Athletic put that out. I didn't get to finish reading it, but part of what was in that article is that players were infuriating that Mike LaFleur's offense was like way too overly complicated and it got to a point where um, Elijah Moore, when he was going through this whole thing where he demanded a trade, I think this stemmed from that. Again, I didn't read the whole thing just yet, but Elijah Moore um, basically went up to his face and said F you into his face. And then of course they later, you know, kissed and made up essentially, but it's all those little things behind the scenes that Robert Sala doesn't really get credit for. And I want to bash him for all the other stuff, but he was putting out fire, little fires everywhere. So you got to give him credit for that, for trying to keep the glue of this team together. So now hopefully that they got rid of LaFleur, they can bring in somebody who can simplify this offense and, and, and help them actually score points. Cause they do have a very dynamic offense besides the O-line and quarterback. This offense is damn good. Um, I would like to sure up the tight end position, but otherwise, you know, get that quarterback and we, we can make things happen. Okay, uh, some other sad news to report. Former Celtics player and coach Chris Ford died at the age of 74 this week. If you don't know, Ford is credited with making the first ever three-pointer in NBA history. So that's pretty cool. Uh, let's talk a little Aussie Open, the Australian Open tennis. Uh, defending champ Rafael Nadal has been knocked out on Wednesday. It was 27-year-old American Mackenzie McDonald who entered the Open having never made it further than the fourth round at a Grand Slam, including four exits in the second round or earlier out of his five previous Aussie Open appearances. Listen, it's no knock on McKenzie at all. I'm proud of the American. Um, he did have Nadal on the ropes before the third round, but a big part of this victory was the fact that in the third, Nadal suffered a hip injury and should have retired, um, but he didn't want to considering that he was the reigning champ, just total class and guts and gut um, gutsiness right there. But he, he admitted afterwards that he literally couldn't run and he couldn't hit his backhand. So he was, I mean, extremely limited. He wasn't going to win. Um, and guess what? While he was beating Nadal, the number one, taking out the number two, Casper Rudd was fellow American Jensen Brooksby. McDonald and Brooksby became the sixth pair of American men's tennis players to defeat both numbers one and two seeds, both the numbers one and two seeds in the same Grand Slam tournament in the Open era. The last instance came at the 94 French Open when Jim Courier and Aaron Crickstein knocked off Pete Sampras and Michael Stitch, respectively. Uh, but unfortunately for McDonald, his luck ran out. He was knocked off today in the third round um, against Japan's Yoshihito Nishioka. As for Brooksby, he will face off tonight at 1030 with fellow American Tommy Paul. So good luck to all the Americans remaining. There's quite a few of them. And it's now up for grabs now that both one and two seeds are out. Back to some NBA. Uh, Nikola Jokic, the reigning two-time MVP, 
with another masterpiece performance on Wednesday, a 31-point triple-double, 31 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists, in a 122-118 win over Minnesota. Jokic is now averaging 25.1 points, 11 rebounds, and 9.9 assists per game, which means he is just 0.1 assists per game from averaging a triple-double. If he can pull that off, he'd be just the third person to do so over an entire NBA season. Can you say three-peat on MVPs for Jokic? Wowzers. All right, what to watch this weekend? Of course, we've got the divisional playoff round. Here's how I rank them. Uh, well, not in any particular order, but we've got Bills, Bengals, Sunday at 3 on CBS. I really do believe this is going to be a great, great game. Bills should be slightly favored, but of course, we didn't get to finish this game from a few weeks ago in Cincy when the Bengals were up early 7-3. to So, I mean, if the Bills play the way they did and the Bengals play the way they did, really neither of these teams is going to win. But uh, I give the slight edge to the Bills. I think they'll clean up the turnover mistakes. Um, they have a decent defense up front. If the Bengals can't sure up that O-line, forget it. But this Bengals team just has a way of doing things in this playoffs. It's like Joe Cool, man. Um... So that's the first game that I'm looking forward to. Next up, you've got Cowboys Niners Sunday 6.30 on Fox. Oh, this should be fantastic display of defense, but I still believe it'll hit the over in points. Uh, I just can't trust the Cowboys on the road, and I can't trust Mike McCarthy. I think Dan Quinn might actually... Um, be the advantage here because he's a you know took his team to a Super Bowl with the Falcons was super close to winning great defensive mind he's got this team playing really good Micah Parsons he's gonna really do some things to confuse the rookie and Brock Purdy and you know I could see a situation in which that works out but come on it's the Cowboys they always disappoint they always do so, yeah, I'm giving this nod to the 49ers at home for sure. I love them to win the Super Bowl, truthfully. Next up, Giants at Eagles, Saturday, 8-15 on Fox. I mean, just one good game after another after another. I can't wait for this game tomorrow. Um, and I love when division rivals meet in the playoffs. There's no greater rivalry in the NFC East than Giants-Eagles. I mean, they're so close in proximity. You have South Jersey uh, residents that are all Philly fans. Then the North and Central are your Giants and Jets fans. So uh, the disdain for one another. There's going to be fights breaking out, you know, in the stadium, um, in the in the seats, and possibly on the field as well with players. These two teams despise each other. Despise each other. Uh, of course, we've got Jalen Hurts. He's off the injury report, but I'm still not. I'm still hesitant to say he's not. He's fully, you know, back to 100. percent I think it's that collarbone. Uh, Boomer Esiason said as much today. He's been saying it for weeks that he truly believes it's that collarbone. The Giants are going to do everything they can if he starts to run. I mean, listen, he came back last week in week 18, um, two weeks ago in week 18, and he didn't. He averages five runs per game. He ran the ball zero times in that final week 18. So come on, he's not fine. There's an issue with the shoulder. They don't want him to move because if he starts to run, you know Giants are going to make it a point not to do anything dirty, but they're going to dive on him and try to get him to land on that shoulder. And if they knock him out or he becomes immobile because this is his throwing shoulder, don't forget, then the Giants have the big advantage here. But this is a big spread, 7.5. It's a division game. Um, there's no way the Giants don't cover this. I, I mean, I'd be shocked. This is the playoffs. I expect the Giants 
to to give it their all. Uh, give me the Giants to cover, um, and I'm leaning towards the Giants to win this as well. It's like plus 290 or something like that. Um, it's not a bad bet at all. Then you got Jaguars at Chiefs. This is Saturday at 4.30 on NBC. Look, the Jags came overcame a 27-point deficit um, in their comeback win over the Chargers last week. It was awesome and all, but it's now time that they come back to reality. We see this time and time again. I just spoke about it. This guy, McKenzie McDonald in the tennis, he beats the world number one and then immediately comes back and loses. It's so very difficult um, when you're riding such a high and it takes so much emotion to win that one to then come back and win another so i i'm absolutely locked in i'm so confident in the in this in the chiefs to win this game by by uh, a touchdown and field goal i think they'll cover the nine i'm more confident in this one than i even was with the bills um a week ago so i'm i'm the spreads have been generally close but no it's time the chiefs had a bye week last week let's go i love it i love the chiefs minus nine i even better i love travis kelsey to score he, Travis Kelsey, has not scored since week 12. If you're feeling frisky, you want to bet Travis Kelsey first to score at plus, I think it's like 550, go for it. But I think I think he's like minus, he's minus 155 anytime, which is terrible. FanDuel minus 140. So they're right with me thinking he's going to score. But here's what you do. Wait a drive or so. Let those odds come down closer to a hundred plus a hundred if you could get it anywhere from minus 125 or minus 120 115 to plus a hundred somewhere in there i would take it and run with it personally that to me is the smart play those are a couple bets i like i also love the over every over hit last week except cowboys bucks and i told you why that probably didn't hit because a couple the brady turnover and and whatnot um so every single over hit and I'm not going to lie, folks. I think every over is going to hit yet again. So look out. I'm betting the overs in these games. Okay, the NFL also announced this week that the Bills, Titans, Jags, Chiefs, and Patriots will all play in Europe next year. I want to say the Chiefs are playing the Patriots in Germany and the rest will be in the UK, um, in two different stadiums, one will be in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and another will probably be in Wembley. Um, but Andy Reid naturally was asked about playing in Germany. And what's he looking forward to most? Some bratwurst, of course. Um, one quick note, this came out last night. Notre Dame's great basketball coach, Mike uh, Breen, uh, excuse me, has announced that he will be retiring at the end of this season. Um, I think he has coached there now. I think he's on 21 or 22 years now. Um, I said Mike Brain. Um, Mike Bray, excuse me. Um, trying to think. I saw this last night. I think he's been there. He's in like his 21st season or something like that. Um Great guy. He had a lot of good things to say about Rutgers last year when they beat them in the play-in game in double overtime. Uh, always been a fan of his. So, uh, yeah, that was the big news last night. Mattress Mac is back in the news because, you know, he didn't learn from his first mistake of betting TCU to win the national championship, just lighting that $1.3 million on fire. He's back. He wagered $2 million on the Cowboys to beat the 49ers, got them at plus 165 and plus 170 on two separate, like, million-plus bets. Um, 
if the Cowboys win outright, he stands to make $3.35 million off of that. Oh, my God. So there's that. And uh, last but not least, with the NFL playoffs going on this week, here's a stat that will blow your mind. Can you name the last player to win the MVP and Super Bowl in the same season? I'll give you a hint. It is not Aaron Rodgers. It's not Peyton Manning. It's not Patrick Mahomes or even Tom Brady. It's former grocery bagger and Northern Iowa quarterback, Kurt Warner, in the 99-2000 season. Yes. And better, you better believe this. Since Kurt Warner, nine MVPs have reached the Super Bowl. And their record in those Super Bowls is 0-9. Oh, my God. And two of the last five MVPs have gone on to win the Super Bowl the next year. What's crazy is the closest player to ending this streak, to ending this 23-year drought, was none other than Matt Ryan when he blew that 27-3 to lead. He was so, so close. But hey, Mahomes is the frontrunner to win the MVP as of right now, and the Chiefs are the frontrunners to the odds-on favorites to win the Super Bowl. So it could be a Bruin if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. It could happen. It could end the 23-year streak. Or could we have another MVP reach the Super Bowl and lose to the 49ers in what would be a rematch from a few years ago in which the Chiefs won that game? Oh, that would be great. Okay, last but not least, on this date in sports, 15 years ago today, it's only natural we keep it with the football. In 2007, uh, the NFC in the 2007 NFC Championship game, the visiting New York Giants defeated the Green Bay Packers in overtime to send them to the Super Bowl, where they would go on to play the ultimate spoiler to the 16 and 0 Patriots. God, I remember that like it was yesterday. Um, yeah, that was a Brett Favre game. He threw a late interception, I believe. And the Giants kicked the winning field goal with, uh, oh, God, uh, Tynes, I believe it was. Yeah. So, and that was in a really cold, snowy game in in um, in um in Green Bay in Lambeau. So, yeah, that's all I've got, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the divisional round. I am going to end this episode with what I thought was the uh, a really great clip that I saw um, this week, earlier this week. This was Austin Rivers um, on a podcast called Off Guard talking about uh, basically youth basketball and showcases, or not showcases, but highlight tapes and basically that culture and what it is doing to the youth, uh, to to our youth in basketball. And he is so spot on with this and it's brilliant and it's two minutes long and I urge you to listen to all two minutes of it. So with that being said, sorry that this episode ran a little late, but happy to say that I'm back on a Friday for the first time in weeks. So I'm the Pody. Enjoy your weekend. Good luck to all you, uh, you know, football fans whose teams are still in it. You can wish my Jets luck too to hopefully land a solid offensive coordinator, but with that being said, guys, enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. Don't do anything I wouldn't. I'm the Pody, signing off. Little things in basketball are forgotten now, and they're not appreciated. And it's like a trickle effect, even to like the analytics of numbers and stuff. Like certain guys don't get paid what 
you know, what they value in basketball, what kids think are cool. I'm gonna try to make this as, as sweet as possible because this 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 really does bother me. I talk about this all the time. When I played in high school, you only got a mixtape if you were like a top tier guy. Back then, like you had to put in work, like consistent work, build a name for yourself to get a mixtape. And it was like an honor to have a Ball is Life mixtape. It was an honor to have a hoop mixtape. We didn't play to have one though. I didn't go into a game doing something to be on hoop mixtape. I went into the game to win and just be myself. And hoop mixtape and them were there following me. I didn't ask hoop mixtape to come follow me. I didn't pay hoop mixtape a dollar. I didn't pay Ball is Life a dollar. They just followed me because I was that guy. They followed Brad Beal because he was that guy. They followed this guy because he was that guy. That's how it was. It is, the landscape has changed now. Parents are paying these people to come to games. Everyone gets a mixtape. Uh, everyone looks at the camera now and taps on their head and they dunk on someone. And it's, it's all highlight after highlight after highlight. And now only kids watch highlights. They don't watch the actual basketball game, the purity of the game, you know, making a hockey pass, which means making the right pass. Even though you're not going to get an assist, you're driving to make a play so someone else can make the play to get an assist, you know, diving on the floor talking on defense, uh, playing defense at all, shooting good shots, making the game easy, being efficient with basketball, and, uh, you know, scoring off one or two dribbles rather than 15 dribbles. This, this, this whole thing, this all, and I'm, I only named like 12, there's 50 of them, has been forgotten about in basketball. And you're seeing it with some of these guys that come in the NBA, I can name you names, but I'm not going to, that come into the NBA and have all the talent in the world but like they need to be taught basketball because like this is what basketball is now. Like highlight, highlight culture has absolutely, yeah, it has. It has killed the game of basketball. 